Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Good afternoon and welcome to the Back of the Range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 165. It's cut day at the 2020 U.S. Open. There were some low scores on the first day, but I have a feeling that we're going to see Wingfoot show her teeth as the championship progresses. Long way to go, but I can't wait to see what Sunday brings. It's been a long week for me. I hope that you've enjoyed all the interviews that I've posted this week. If you haven't had a chance to listen, this will be the sixth episode of the week. So special thanks to Dan Hicks from NBC, Butch Harmon, Lucas Michel, the 2019 U.S. Mid-Amateur Champ, John Augenstein, the U.S. Amateur Finalist, for sharing their experiences from their practice rounds, and Hale Irwin, yes, Hale Irwin, for sharing his thoughts on his first U.S. Open win in 1974 at Wingfoot. What a treat to be able to have a conversation with a World Golf Hall of Famer. I hope to have another chance to speak with him. You know, I have so many questions regarding the Ryder Cup in 91, his Champions Tour domination. So many questions for him. Well, that brings us to my final guest of the week, Michael O'Keefe. Now, Michael O'Keefe doesn't play a whole lot of golf these days. In fact, you might not know the name. But many of you know that Michael O'Keefe is the actor that played Danny Noonan in Caddyshack. So he was at Wingfoot earlier this week, caddying for club pro Danny Balin in the first two practice rounds. So I was very fortunate to get some time to chat with him about that experience. I also asked him a little bit about his acting career. Did you know that Michael O'Keefe was nominated for an Academy Award in 1981? Yes, Danny Noonan almost won an Oscar. Now, I didn't ask Michael any questions about the filming of Caddyshack. You know, it's one of my favorite movies. I'm sure it's one of yours as well. There have been books and documentaries about all the crazy party stories on set. So I didn't ask him about working with Rodney or Bill Murray or Ted Knight. We just didn't have that much time. There's so many stories there, maybe another time. But I wanted to make sure that we talked about his experience at Wingfoot. It's a fun, lighthearted chat. I really can't thank him enough for taking the time, especially since yesterday, when we recorded this, was his ninth wedding anniversary. So congrats to Michael and his wife. Before we get to this episode, I wanted to let you know that Michael's appearance at the U.S. Open has had a tremendous impact on a charitable effort to raise money for the winged foot caddies that have been affected by the coronavirus. There's a GoFundMe page under the name of Richie's Gift. I'll put the link in the show notes. It has raised nearly $250,000 so far. Incredible effort. So I wanted to make sure that you all are aware of that. If you can, toss a couple bucks in there, help out some of the caddies. So let's get to this episode. It is, uh, it's a thrill. It's a little bit surreal. But yeah, I'm talking to Michael O'Keefe, Danny Noonan from Caddyshack. Michael, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? I'm good. I feel like there should be a trumpet fanfare. 
but you know, there isn't, but I'm so happy to be here anyway. Well, it's going to happen in post. I'm going to clean this up in post where it's just going to sound incredible. And I, 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 you know, we're, we're kind of pressed for time because you got a date tonight. You're going to celebrate your ninth wedding anniversary. So let's, let's make some points with the wife and uh, congratulate you on that. So yeah, uh, I'm really happy about that. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, as many, you know, when I tell people Michael O'Keefe, you know, that maybe doesn't ring a bell for every single person that, that follows a game of golf, but damn it. If you mention Danny Noonan, everyone's eyes light up. So we'll talk a little Caddyshack, but you just spent a couple days looping for Danny Ballin at the U S open at Wingfoot, And, um, I'm guessing you watched a little golf today as well, right? Well, I, 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 you know, I've cut the cable, as we say, but I have been following the scoreboard. I know that Danny had a uh, really solid round at 73. He's tied with this golfer, uh, Tiger Woods, you might have heard of. I have. So I, I think he's in good standing. You know, my hope is that he can build on that and kind of, you know, get some momentum going and make the cut, you know. So um, it was a blast to be there. I had so much fun. It was, I caddied there as a teenager and to be back on that course and I have to tell you, I have a, a profound and new, newly deepened respect for professional caddies who I've always admired. But after carrying Danny's bag for two days, I got to tell you, there's not one part of my body that isn't sore except my teeth. Of course. Well, OK, so let, let me hit on that and ask you that really quick. You know, you put this thing out here on, on you know, golf.com reached out. Hey, you know, it's the 40th anniversary of Caddyshack. Um, you know, do you want to write something? And you, you kind of threw this idea out there to to uh, to caddy in the u.s open now that you actually had a bag for two days and you saw what was in store do you think you could have gone the entire week and i'm not really asking physically i'm talking about could you have strategically helped a professional around that place for a week well i you know i i i'm not going to underestimate the the skill set that a caddy brings to bear sure uh, i do i do know the game um you know i know how it's played and i know that course the thing that they really helped me refine and get very um, clear about is the importance of the yardage book, uh, connecting with the sprinkler heads and getting a feel for what's happening around the course, even in terms of angles, like which sprinkler head you're going to read from. Danny has a preference for finding the yardage to the front of the green, then dealing with whatever inclination or declination there is, the plus or minus of that. Uh, and then how far into the green the, the pin's been placed and how 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 um, what the distances are from the sides as well. So, you know, maybe not all golfers do that, but I was really brought up to speed on all that. You know, and by the end of the rounds, Mark Mandelblatt, his caddy, was turning to me and saying, hey, look, I'm not going to say anything. You give him the yardage. You know, nine times out of ten, I was about a yard within where uh, Mark was when he was giving Danny the yardage. So, yeah. you know, they all, they all agreed that I kind of, you know, was picking that part of it up, and that's really a big part of it. Sure, but they also, you know, the other thing is the relationship with these guys. He goes back as uh, to a, to being a frat brother brother with Danny back at Penn State. So they have a you know twenty year relationship that they bring to bear, which is a much different thing than me just showing up. You know, having said that, I would have been game. I would have loved to stay on his bag, and I would have loved to have grabbed another bag if it came up. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I mean, you spent time catting there in the early 70s, and it's funny we're talking this week because I just had Butch Harmon on the podcast about two or three days ago. So lots of Harmon connections and, and you looping there in the early 70s when Claude Harmon was there. Yeah, not only that, and I remember seeing Butch and his brothers Craig and Billy play when they were in their early 20s, and I actually got to catch up with Billy on uh, Tuesday, which was an amazing experience. He was standing at the first hole as the starter, 
And I got there and I was there before Danny and before Mark is caddy. And he looked at me and I looked at him and he said, Michael, it's good to see you. I'm one of the Harmons. I said, are you Billy Harmon? And he said, yeah. And we had not seen each other in almost 50 years. That's fantastic. Yeah. So fantastic. So I I have to ask, so, you know, you have this great 40, you know, 40 year career in film, TV and stage. I mean, for people that just know you as Danny Noonan, I mean, you've been on West Wing, MASH, Sneaky Pete, Academy Award nomination for The Great Santini, and even played uh, Tom Cruise's character, uh, Lionel Caffey, and uh, A Few Good Men on a, on a touring production. This is might be a dumb question, but I, I have to ask you, what is your handicap as an actor? Where would you consider yourself? Oh, that's an interesting... You know, I've never thought about it that way. I think one of the things that happened for me early on was that... Um, you know, I had a lot of skills in a certain way, but I had a lot more arrogance than skill when I was young. Okay. And I had to find out—I had to find out the hard way about humility and its value uh, to uh, a career as an actor. You know, we can't do what we do alone. Um, we have to be open to suggestion, and we have to, um, you know, cast ourselves in in a way in which. We relieve our doubts, our self-doubts, so that we can be of service to the story and the director and the other actors. That was not always my perspective, and it was certainly not always the way that I worked. And it took me a very long time um, to find my way into accord with those kinds of um, thoughts and ways of being. And ever since I have, you know, my career has gotten a lot better and my appreciation of my career has gotten a lot better. And now... 40 years later, it's even longer that I've been an actor. It's almost 50 years, actually. Okay. I started, it is 50 years. I kind of started when I was 15. Okay. Um, you know, I'm just so grateful that it worked out. That's when sometimes people say to me, what's your favorite part? And, you know, I've had some films and, and plays that have been more successful than others. But for me, the fact that it happened at all, that I was able to kind of, you know, get out of the suburbs you know, find a way into Manhattan, start knocking down doors of agents, get some representation, impress enough producers and directors and writers to start getting jobs. And now here we are all these years later and, you know, I'm married and I'm celebrating my ninth wedding anniversary. I have a seven-year-old son and I've never been happier. That's great. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny. It sounds a lot like the start of uh, someone trying to make it as a professional golfer where they're just like, hey, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to do anything it takes to just take a chance on life and see if I can make it. So the parallels, I would imagine, between trying to make it on the PGA Tour and trying to make it in the in the arts, uh, they sound pretty damn similar. It is similar. And one of the things I noticed was the trajectory of the week. Even though I was only there for the first two days, the vibe on Tuesday was so much different from the vibe on Monday. And these guys had already begun to dial in their sort of laser-like focus so that when they got to today and they were teeing off, they can really have a kind of tunnel vision and a kind of myopia that would serve them on the course. And I could feel the difference. Monday was very loose. Everybody was dropping balls here, dropping balls there, cracking jokes. There was a, a radio on the uh, golf bag, not unlike Al Cervix radio. Oh, and who, who had, oh, well, it was just like a Bluetooth. Speaker. Danny does, you know, Danny does, you know, oh, so like gosh. towards the end of the day, we were out there and it, the sun started going down and the radio came on. I was like, hey, okay, this is loose. Yeah. Tuesday I got there and I was like, wait a minute, what's different? Something's different. <laughs> and then when I kind of figured it out, then they actually were outgoing about it. And they told me, they said, look, today's different than yesterday. It's, and it's going to be different for you and it's different for us. And you're going to have to kind of play catch up. And once I did, then we really got into a nice groove. Uh, Paul Azinger came by and Dan Hicks came by when we were on the front nine on Tuesday. Um, 
Jimmy Roberts came by a couple of times. He did a piece that's going to run on NBC on Saturday during the open. Sure. Um, I mean, I just had, you know, to be able to connect with those guys on a professional level, to get inside the ropes at the U S open on a course that I more or less grew up on, you know, the question as to whether or not I actually ever did grow up is, is one that needs to be answered. But I did spend some formative teen years there, and I prepared for Caddyshack there. So to go back and revisit that, sure. Um, you know, my mom's 90th birthday party was there because my brother Billy's actually a president, president, president yeah. it, you know, and member. And when we had my mom's 90th, it was right there uh, in, in one of those um, dining rooms. And, you know, she passed away in July. So like one of the last really good times I spent with her was right at the Wingfoot. So all of those things were at play when I was there. And I, I just can't help but think, you know, when, you know, when we see top professional golfers on TV, we see them all the time. And even before, co- you know, before COVID, you could attend a, a PGA Tour event or a, or a Masters or a U.S. Open. But we've only seen Danny Noonan at Bushwood. We've only seen him in a movie. He's always in, existed in the minds of golfers kind of frozen in time in the early 80s. And I'm just guessing these guys, when they see Danny Noonan reappear in the flesh 40 years later to U.S. Open, I can't think of anything that really compares to that. It's not normally – it's not like, oh, that's that's Tiger. Well, no shit. You see Tiger everywhere. But this is like Charlie Sheen coming in to pitch an Indians game. This is I – mean, <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty good. I mean – That's pretty good. But I'm selling getting for the Detroit yeah, Tigers. I totally get it. Yeah. It, it, it. But it doesn't make yeah. sense. Like you, you, there's one little time capsule where they've ever seen that character, and then he shows up on a bag – I'm guessing the looks you received this week were probably different than the typical <laughs> looks you get at an airport. I mean, well, you know, one of the things I did was grew, I grew my hair. It right. Was, this was kind of becoming an idea. I was like, oh, don't cut your hair. Uh-huh. You know, and then I, I got one of those Bushwood caps on eBay. I didn't save the real one from back in the day. Okay. And as soon as I put on that cap and I had the long hair, everybody was like, oh, my God. <laughs> right, right. What is happening? And, you know, they were they wanted to have selfies and everybody from like the chef at Wingfoot to the groundskeepers to the caddies. The caddies went crazy. They were so much fun to be around. And then a bunch of the golfers, John Rahm said hi. I had a couple of really great encounters with um, what's that young kid's name? Um, uh, Jefferson and his dad, dad his dad name is, is Boyd. Oh, uh, Boy- anyway, Boyd, was, Boyd and Preston Summerhays. That's exactly right. Boyd and Preston Summerhays. And. Preston hadn't seen the movie oh. and his dad said his dad just slapped his hand on my shoulder and he said, I want you to know, I love you're doing this. Preston hasn't seen the movie. He was like, Preston stand next to Michael. He said, uh-huh. we're going to take this picture and then we're going to go home and watch Caddyshack tonight. Oh, his And then Preston's caddy was like, you haven't seen Caddyshack. Oh my. Well, unfortunately, like I'm in my, I'm in my uh, mid forties and I am, you know, barely an adult. I mean, by I'm 44, but I'm, you know, barely housebroken, and I still can't fathom that someone hasn't seen Caddyshack. I'll go as far as I I try not to drop too many lines because I just assume everyone's gonna like, dude, it's Caddyshack. We know everyone knows. But uh, well, we were out with uh, we were out with a pal of, a pal of Danny's uh, on Tuesday, Ryan Vermeer, who's a club pro. Yeah, and by the you know by the back nine, he could not stop dropping the Caddyshack. It was hilarious. <laughs> You know, he was like, hey, uh, Michael, can you loop for my stretch marks? Uh, <laughs> so, okay, so now let me ask you. I know this week was very special, but what has your relationship been with golf since the movie came out and became just such a huge cult hit? I mean, have you always been 
you know, this kind of accepting of the fact that where you go, especially if you go to a bar, you go to a golf course, you go anywhere, I mean, you know it's coming. How has your relationship been with the game of golf? Well, you know, I, I didn't really play before I went down to do the movie, so I had to learn how to play for that. Right. And when we finished, you know, golf was a kind of in a in a in a there's a lot to say this. Well, like a strata of society that I did not move in. Right. You know, I was a struggling artist living in Manhattan. I didn't go to country clubs anymore. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of free time and I certainly didn't have a big career. I was still trying to find my way. Um, and it also, it was pre tiger, you know, we're talking about 1980. So it was before tiger hit the scene in the nineties and sort of how, that shift, that that the way the needle moved away about how he played the game and the way the game is played since then, and the way golf is perceived since then, hadn't happened. And then after it did, I actually started getting the opportunity to play in a lot of charity tournaments. And I realized, oh, oh if I go to these tournaments, guys will show up, throw a couple thousand dollars at a charity, and all I have to do is play golf, and they're going to have the time of their life because they can go home and say they play golf with me. Right. And so I started getting on that circuit in L.A., and that was a lot of fun. And then I actually got serious about my game. I trained with a great club pro out in L.A. named Pat Boyd, who's got a couple of course records out there. He's a wonderful guy. And he kind of helped me get a game together. And, you know, when I was really, really practicing and really working, I probably played to about a 12. And I had some fun when I, you know, I shoot in the low 80s and go out and have a great time. Yeah. But, you know, now that I'm married and have a seven-year-old, I barely, you know, I've, I barely picked up a club in the last seven years. I don't have time to practice. You know as well as I do. Sure. If you don't practice, there's no point in playing because you're not going to have any fun. So, you know, I'm hoping my son is now at the age where, you know, he might appreciate the game. And if we go out to a range up here and he starts having some fun hitting balls, I might be able to go up and, you know, hit balls a few days a week at least. That's That makes complete sense. And I hope he does get into the game. And gosh, what, what stories you can tell him about just you know, Hey, dad was in this movie. That's kind of a thing. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, not in the hole he's going to be when he gets to see the movie for the first time, but, but just the, I, I don't know how your son's going to grasp the concept of the fact that like that is etched in the vernacular of golf all over the world. Well, as soon as I put on the hat, man, and I, I had that bag on my shoulder, these guys, at one point we were on the front nine at the West course and bones came by in oh. a golf cart he looked at me and he stopped the golf cart and he just started laughing hysterically. Who, which, which player just could not like, which one wasn't too cool for school? Which one just could not? <laughs> no, I, they were all great. Right. These guys are pros. You know, they're all stars in their own right. Right. They're certainly not going to get bowled over. You know, they just, they all, and they're all celebrities too, one way or the other. That's you true. know what I mean? That's so true. that was, they're used to, they're used to seeing guys around this. And for, you know, for them, they know there's so many actors and so many movie stars, so many celebrities that love playing golf. So it's no big deal for Bill Murray to show up and play around with them or somebody like that. You know, that's their thing, you know? So yeah, they were just there to, they were there to do a job. And I happen to be fortunate enough to get inside the ropes and, and get up close and watch them do it. And, you know, these are memories I'm going to have for a long, long time. It was a, you know, a rarefied experience and I'm really grateful for it. That's fantastic. Before I let you go, I definitely want to hit on something extremely important. Um, there's a definitely a charity. You mentioned charity and, and you playing uh, golf in these charity outings and they can throw some money at, at some worthwhile charities. Just so impressed and so thrilled. To, I'm not sure if you've looked at it, but there's a charity called, uh, you know, Richie's Gift. You obviously know a lot about it. And it's uh, there's a GoFundMe page. I'll put that's link, right. And I will put the link to that GoFundMe page uh, in the show notes of this episode. But Richie's Gift is basically benefiting the 
wingfoot caddies that are obviously just like a lot of people are, are hurting due to the coronavirus. Uh, I hope I'm delivering some news that you already know, but if not... Um, the- oh, yeah, no, I've been tweeting about that. Okay. I, Rich Eisen was kind enough to have me on his show, and we talked about it. And sort of synchronistically, that charity, uh, that GoFundMe sp- page, was started by Bill Fergazi. Yeah. And Bill's niece happens to be married to my nephew. Oh. So it's almost family. You know, it's just one or two steps away. So I, that that was way on my radar early on. And before I even got the bag from Danny, uh, I had been saying, look, why don't you guys give me a shot and we'll help the caddies out at the Wingfoot. So the fact that, that it worked out and that I got to, you know, hopefully drive a, a, a little scratch their way was an added kind of cherry on top, if you know what I mean. Are you aware that the $200,000 goal has been exceeded? And as of about 10 minutes ago, it's at $245,000? Excellent. Excellent. I, That's great. I, I, certainly the $12 a loop that I threw in for my fee is going to mean a lot. <laughs> you know, when I, my caddy rate back in the day was $12 a bag for 18. Who, who's so a better who, going in there too? Who's a better caddy, Danny Noonan or Michael O'Keefe? Oh, wow. That's a, you asked some really interesting questions. You know, I guess Danny Noonan would be a better caddy because Danny Noonan's certainly a better golfer than Michael O'Keefe. So we'd have to make him a better caddy. Well, I ask the questions because, you know, I take drugs. So, um, well, there you go. And this is your intervention, Ben. That's why we're all here today. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, I'm going to let you go get to your dinner. I've been so well behaved, not dropping, uh, just not going down a rabbit hole of Caddyshack references. But I think a perfect way to, to, to close out this episode is, uh, Michael, are, are you my pal? Oh, yes. And I stand for goodness, Ben, and I hope you do, too. And there you have it. Special thanks to Michael O'Keefe for joining me here at the back of the range. Don't forget, in the show notes of this episode is the GoFundMe link for Richie's Gift. That is the fundraiser that is raising money for the Winged Foot Caddies. So go check that out. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the U.S. Open. Don't forget to keep following along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we'll see you next time here at the back of the range.